I might steal his bottle of water right here in the church house. Good morning to everyone. Uh, glad to see you here. We've got a good, good audience. Appreciate it very much. It's good to come together as the children of God in his house and worship together. Uh, I'm certainly glad to be with you. Early this morning, a friend called from way off. Called me. Ray, you preaching in Lake Charles today? I says, yes, I am. He said, I'm going to be listening. That just made me feel a little warm inside. I'm glad we got friends and family and church members. The Lord didn't create human beings to live off by themselves somewhere. A few people get off and be hermits, but they're rare, and I think they've got a screw loose somewhere anyway. He meant for people to interact and be together, and that's good, isn't it? I've had to live kind of by myself quite a bit since my wife died, and I'd rather be with people than I had alone all the time. That's the way he made us. You remember in the very beginning what he said, it's not good for man to be alone. That's why he created Eve for us. Anyway, we're glad to see you here. Uh, I hope you're feeling good this morning and in a good humor. Because I don't have one of these feel-good sermons particularly today. But we'll do the best we can to make it somewhat palatable. Occasionally, sometimes we need to kind of get our dander stirred up a little bit. Anyway, sure am glad to have my cheering section getting bigger. Doc, it's been a while since you've been here, hadn't it? Glad to have her here, I tell you. We're going to get back to normal in spite of everything. Can y'all see that? Okay. I wanted to make sure y'all could see that. <clears throat> As, uh, please look at this carefully, as if you could help to look at it. <laughs> I, I, I don't read minds, but I'm pretty sure I know what some of y'all are thinking. You're thinking, where did that old country preacher come up with that big old word at? Don't underestimate us old folks. We've been around a few more bins in the creek than a lot of you have. That is a big, fancy-looking word, isn't it? I'm kind of proud of that. Of course, I had to look it up in the dictionary to make sure I knew what I was talking about because it's a word that uh, we don't often use in our everyday language. Paradox. 
sounds pretty good. Got a kind of a whang to it. Paradox. It's not in the Bible that is in the authorized version. Might be in some of y'all off-brand versions, but it's not in the old King James version anyway. But it's a word that Webster defines as a statement or situation in life that seems to contradict itself. You see underneath I have these beautiful paintings, and I know you figured I must have skipped a few painting classes, but anyway, one of them depicts a smiley, and one of them depicts a frowny. That's a paradox. Uh, sweet, sour, tender, tough, weak, strong, smile, frown, paradoxes. Jesus, when he was here on this earth, lived a life sometimes of a paradox. For example, last week, if you remember, we talked about Jesus being the Lamb of God that was slain. Y'all remember that? Shake your head even if you've already forgotten it. That's good. Thank you. You make me feel better. See, if you thank your head, remember it. We talked about that. He was meek and mild. He turned the other cheek. We remember him teaching in Matthew chapter 5, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn. Blessed are they that uh, hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. He was humble, quiet, lowly in heart. But on the other hand, he was the lion of the tribe of Judah. At times he was aggressive, tough. At times he took dramatic action. Do you remember the time he went down to Jerusalem and went there into the temple where they bought and sold animals and exchanged money, these Jewish Pharisees. You see, back in those days, Jews lived all over the world. And many of them came as pilgrims annually to these great Jewish feasts in Jerusalem. And they could haul their animals with them all the way from wherever they come from. Rather, they bought them when they got to Jerusalem to offer as a sacrifice. And they couldn't buy them with their off-brand money from Timbuktu or wherever they came from. So they would go to these Jewish money changers and give them their money and they'd give them some Jewish money and they could buy their animals and then have them sacrificed. Well, them Jews would do them bad two ways. They'd overcharge them for the animals they sold them and then kind of not give them a square deal when they changed their money. 
That's why they had the money changers tables out there in the temple of God, for goodness sakes. Jesus came in a while and watched that theft going on. And he couldn't stand it anymore. Literally, he became so angry that he went and took these money changers tables big and overturned them and cast all the money out. And not only that, he braided a whip out of some rope or something similar to that and drove them out of the temple. He didn't particularly like these scribes and Pharisee hypocrites, as he called them. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisee hypocrites. You are the blind leading the blind. You are a generation of vipers. You are whited sepulchers. You are full of dead men's bones. That didn't sound like a lamb. That sounded like the Lion of Judah. But he was a lamb also. Even uh, in the teaching, Christ's teaching, you'll find some paradoxical things. For example, in Luke chapter 9, verse 24, listen to this. Whosoever loseth his life shall find it. Paradox. You remember one time he said something to the effect that we save by spending. Paradox. That one my wife always liked. She tried to teach me that all the time we save by spending. Oh, yeah. But, you know, even... Uh, Paradoxical teachings are in the Word of God all throughout it. For example, you remember when the children of Israel was wandering in the wilderness and they had a bunch of excess snakes and they were biting them and, and, and killing some of them and they cried out for help? You remember what God told them to do? Put a snake on a pole. And then if you look up at it, why, you'll be cured of the snake bite. That don't make sense. Snake and a snake, paradoxical. Uh, Naaman uh, one time had the leprosy and he was told to go dip in the river Jordan seven times and you'll be cleansed of the leprosy. That don't make sense. But even today when the Lord tells us to believe and be baptized, that is immersed in water for the forgiveness of our sins, that don't really make logical sense from a human standpoint. And not only that, as Christians today, we too are not only to be lambs and follow all of these beatitudes that Christ told us to do, but we also have to be like lions, soldiers of the cross, 
Paul said for us to stand, therefore stand. Put on the whole armor of God. Take the sword of the Spirit. Get ready to go into battle. He said, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness of this world. In fact, he also told us, woe unto him that keeps back his sword, his sword from the blood. Probably about now you're wondering, Ray, where on the world are you going with this subject? Well, you just hang on. That was just an introduction. We're going to get started in a minute. I want to tell you right here at the beginning a Bible story. This is my favorite way of preaching. I can do better preaching telling a Bible story, I think, than any other thing. It's taken from the book of Daniel. The Daniel is an Old Testament book, quite a bit of prophecy in it, but it's a good story too. Anyway, it's not but 12 chapters in the Old Testament. They're not particularly long chapters. It's, a, it's an interesting book. The first six chapters is the most interesting story you have ever read. It's like reading a book of fiction. And then the last six are so hard and deep and prophetic, you can't hardly understand them. You have to bog through them. You know, sometimes as I read the Bible, I'll read parts of it I just love to read and just interest me. And, everything. and then some of it is oh, kind of hard to bog through. That's when we need to just keep reading he didn't mean for everything to be easy. I tell you what I want you to do for a favor to me. This coming week, I'm asking all of you, I hope you'll be back next week, to read the book of Daniel. That's not but 12 chapters. You read the Bible every day, surely, don't you? Well, this week, read the book of Daniel. You'll have fun reading the first six chapters and you will thank me for causing you to read it again. You'll have the awfulest time reading the last six chapters, but don't quit. Grit your teeth and go on through it because next week I'm going to ask you to raise your hand so you may as well get ready. Please read the book of Daniel. You'll be glad you did. Anyway, my... Gee, I, that went all around the world to tell you that I'm, that's where we're going to be talking about a little bit from the book of Daniel tonight. The book of Daniel starts about a, a great king who was the emperor of a country uh, over in far east. And he looked with uh, down one day at the little 
kingdom of Israel down there on the Mediterranean Sea. And she said, I think I'll just go down with all my armies and conquer that bunch of Jews. I don't know if he had any particular reason for doing it or not. He was in the great country of Babylon up there. And this king's name was Nebuchadnezzar. That's a big name, fancy name. I kind of like it. Nebuchadnezzar. It's got a sound to it. I tell you, there's always two names that I liked. Melchizedek and Nebuchadnezzar. I like the sound of that. I told my wife one time after we had three boys, I said, if I have another boy, I'm going to name, name him Melchizedek or Nebuchadnezzar. We never did have any more children. <laughs> I don't know if that had anything to do with it or not, but we just never did have any more. But I, I kind of like them names. But anyway, this old bird, Nebuchadnezzar, even though I like his name, he wasn't all that great a king. Now, he was a great leader and a great king, but he was pretty wicked at times. Anyway, he went down and conquered Israel, killed many of them, brought most of the rest that he didn't kill back to Babylon as captives. But he told his generals down there, when you go down there, now I want you to save a few of the choice, young, talented men and bring them back to me and I want them trained up to serve me in my castle and I want you to train them and make them good, humble servants. I'm going to use them there. And so they brought back a number like that, but they brought four special ones. And they were Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they taught them and groomed them and made them into good servants. And they became good servants, humble, obedient, and they did everything that Nebuchadnezzar wanted them to do. And he was happy with him and became close to them. In fact, Daniel interpreted some dreams for him that no one else could. And he became rather close to these four men. And he liked them. And they were all the time in the castle, quiet, obedient servants. Now, they did not forsake their religion Worshiping the one true God. These people over here, they were heathens. They worshiped idols. But these Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Shech, Abednego kept to their religion, but they obeyed their master and were good servants. And everything went along fine for a while. One day Nebuchadnezzar, in his arrogance, in his vainness, as with so many politicians, he says, I think I will erect me a great idol of gold. 
I don't guess it was solid gold because it was 90 feet high, nine feet at the base. I guess it was plated gold. Surely it didn't have all that much gold. But anyway, it was of gold. I don't know what it was of. I got a sneaking hunch. It was probably of him, but it didn't say so. But he said he had a great dedication feast. Food and music and all the dancing girls and everything. And they all admired it. And he proclaimed to all the people, isn't this a wonderful thing? Now when you hear the trumpets, everybody in the whole kingdom stops whatever they're doing and bows down towards the idol. And so sure enough, it was working that way. When they'd hear the trumpets, everybody stopped and bow and hula or whatever they did for the great idol. But, I don't know what happened to Daniel. He kind of dropped out right here in the story. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they was together there in the castle. They would not do that. And some gossipers came along and says, Hey, did you hear that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego wouldn't bow down? And that got to the king. Well, I can't believe that. So he called them. Come. Hey, guys, what's going on? Why don't you bow down when the trumpets sound and everybody in the whole kingdom bows down? And they said, King, we serve you humbly, quietly, do the best we can, but we cannot bow down to your idol. We will not bow down to your idol. King said, now wait a minute. Guys, don't you know the penalty for not bowing down? Look, here's a fiery furnace. And if you don't bow down, you'll be thrown in there and burned to a crisp. They said, we will not bow down. So he heated it seven times as hot. And then he told them to grab Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them in. And the keepers that took them up to the furnace, it was so hot, and it burned them up to death. And they threw them in. Now, when you read that book this week, I ain't going to tell you what happened, but that king saw something funny when he looked in that fiery furnace. I ain't going to tell you what it was. You'll have to find that out. But they were not burned up. And they were brought back out alive. Well, that's a very interesting story and you're going to enjoy it as you read it this week in the first six chapters. But how does that relate to us today and my sermon? 
Well, because here in our beloved country, I'm afraid we're beginning to see idols erected that are contrary to God's will. Maybe not idols of reality, but certainly idols of the law and of our mind, of law and precepts that are contrary to God's will. And we are finding more and more a strong push. It's becoming a demand to accept these laws or else. Our modern professors and philosophers and politicians have decided, for example, that absolute Bible truth, moral truth, is no longer absolute and right, but it's subjective. Subjective to change according to the changing mores of our society. In simple words, there is no more absolute right and wrong, but that's a big gray area in the middle that's gray. What are you talking about, Ray? Well, for example, under the disguise of women's liberation, we have raised an idol of the marriage revolution. In the beginning, God created one man, one woman for each other. And divorce only in the case of extreme infidelity. This golden idol says casual divorce for any reason or for no reason at all. So, already in our beloved country, over one half of all marriages end in divorce regardless what the Bible says. God also said marriage would be between man and a woman. Men say it could be between man and woman, between man and man, between woman and woman. Do not be deceived. The next step will be between man and beast or woman and beast. We will not bow down. They are raising the idol of sexual revolution. 
And now casual sexual relationships are the norm. So 40% of all children born are born without a father. 50% of Hispanic children are born without a father. 70% of all black children are born without a father. Casual sex is glorified and condoned in our books, our magazines, on the TV. Pornography is rampant on our streets, in the stores, on the TV, in our infernal phones. Let me tell you what I do with my phone. I don't do much because I don't know how to do much. But I do read the news. I read mostly Fox News, but I read two or three kind of news. It's quick and it's easy, and I don't have to turn on the TV and wait for all the, this and that and the other. But you know what I'm running into? I start reading the news. And in the news article, it'll go down, I'm reading, okay, poop, and all of a sudden they show me an ad. It'd be all right if they showed me an ad for a Coke or a Dr. Pepper or something. Oh, no. They show me ads for women's lingerie right in the middle of my news article. I'm an old man. That don't bother me as much as it used to, you understand. But I hate to be trying to read it. Every time, I, most anything I turn on my phone for, sooner or later, I'm going to see some semi-naked women. Something wrong with this. That's not right, folks. Gee, we saw a few when I was young, but it was in a Sears Roebuck catalog. Casual abortion, 70 million of them since 1973 when Roe versus Wade was put into effect. And nowadays, your abortions are being made just because they don't want a child. It's a bother. Not for the life or of the woman. Don't bow down. We once were a God-fearing nation that was founded upon freedom of religion, but it wasn't freedom from religion because practically everybody had some sort of religion and at, uh, at least acknowledged God, and there were very few atheists in our country. But now we're becoming a nation of atheists if it keeps going like it is. We are taught about the forgetting our religious heritage that we have, our religious history, uh, forgetting about religion in general. We are taught today our children in school that we are inherently racist, sexist, hemophobic, xenophobic, Islamophobic, and bigoted. 
We are trying some way or the other as hard as we can, seems like, to turn our beloved country into a heathen state. We will not bow down. Alcohol and gambling and drugs is nothing more today than another source of revenue for our states and our parishes and the federal government. God warns us, woe unto the nations that forget God. And you know where Nebuchadnezzar and his people ended up? On the ash heap of history. But as you look back on that ash heap that's growing more all the times of nations that left and forgot God, tell you the truth, we're looking more and more like the last days of the Roman Empire. And I don't want you to misunderstand me. I love my country. I went and fought for my country in World War II and would do it again. But I fear for my country and I fear for my children and my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren. Hey, I'm the end of the road. They can't do anything to me. <laughs> what few days I have left don't matter anyway. But oh, I got some posterity that I love and I care about. Ladies and gentlemen and brothers and sisters, if our churches are closed for whatever reason, if our families are mocked, and if our country is destroyed or completely radicalized, don't let it be because of the silence of our pulpits of this land and our teachers of this land. Let the truth of Almighty God ring from every corner, from every pulpit, from every Christian's mouth. I'm about tired out. But I couldn't be more sincere about this. Ray, how are you going to end this? I don't have the slightest idea how to end this speech. On the one hand, I look out here at mostly Christian people and those of you who aren't Christians, we hope and pray that you'll become a Christian. And we can help you do that today when we sing an imitation song. And those of you who are probably lukewarm Christians, you can revive yourself and be a good, solid worker in the kingdom of the Lord. And, and we love you and we hope that. I hope you're loving and gentle and kind and good and peaceful. But as Christians, I also hope you're putting on the whole armor of God. That you realize 
that we do have a battle. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world. And they're gathering force. We have to prepare ourselves. Know this, in closing, know this. If you don't remember anything else, remember this. If our beloved country proceeds on its current course, and doesn't turn away from it, there will be an inevitable collision between Christianity and our country. So prepare yourself for battle. Even while we pray for peace. If you need to respond to Jesus Christ, we'll help you become a Christian today. One thing about it, and I'm going to leave you with this good thought. Whatever happens, if you're a Christian, it'll be okay. If you respond, uh, need to respond, won't you come while together we stand and while we sing?